Hi, it's Claire, uh, the Cosmopolitan Globalist, and this is the Cosmopolitan And we have Vladislav Davidson with us again. Um, welcome, Vladislav. That was my cat. Uh, yes, I, I I don't meow like that cat, although I <laughs> do have uh, uh, some of, of the qualities of the cat, uh, the, the, the more masculine ones. The nonstop demand for attention? No, come on. <laughs> come on. No, cats uh, Cats actually can be... Uh, come on, Claire. <laughs> what not other qualities them. do you have in common? You're not six inches tall. You don't, you don't, you don't crap in a box. A certain, a certain elegant <laughs> grace. <laughs> yeah, which one certain, are you talking about? A certain cunningness. A certain <laughs> ferociousness. Elegant grace like my, my tripod. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I s- sustain, sustain, <laughs> Claire. <laughs> All right. So um, we are going to talk about Ukraine and the Iraq war anniversary, we decided, um, because our listeners have not been privy to our conversations. We're going to have to repeat ourselves um, because they haven't been overhearing what we've been saying for the past couple of days. So why don't we begin by telling them what you've been up to since our last podcast? Oh, uh, Claire, I, I'm so manically busy that I can't sit still, so I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. I I put together a, a big Jewish conference in Washington, D.C. in February. I went to America I did some talks about Ukraine. I flew to Berlin for the premiere of the Sean Penn Zelensky documentary film, which I was a, a, a producer on. And that was fun. Spent two days in Berlin, saw some Berlin people, did the, the, did the Berlin Film Festival stuff, including the, the nightclub stuff with the Ukrainians. After my friend, Tonya Neibrova, had a, her film premiere at the, at the Berlin Film Festival. She's a Ukrainian lady who had a wonderful film called uh now i forget i'm gonna ask my wife what was tony Nebrova's film baby do love me yes appropriately enough and i had a i had a uh, cameo role in that film playing drunken intellectual number two <laughs> are you in the credits as drunken intellectual number two indeed i am i was trying to get the drunken intellectual number one who is standing on top of a of a table and uh screaming about his uh party ticket in 1990 uh, trying to rip up his Soviet party membership uh, on New Year's Year 1990 in, in the movie. I, I'm trying to get him off the table saying, no, no, don't rip it up. Don't do it, man. Okay, that was so my you, cameo. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were in Ukraine, what, 13 days ago? Yes. After that, uh, Berlin Film Festival was over. I flew through Romania, as one does, into Moldova. Right. There was no coup d'etat, as we were all promised, in Moldova. So after about a day of hanging out, waiting for the coup d'etat, I realized there would be no coup d'etat, and I went straight to Odessa. I uh-huh. spent about, about a week and a half there and left through Poland on the other way out. So how can't mood fly in into Ukraine again. Sorry? How's the mood in Odessa? Oddly placid, oddly resilient, uh, scattershot anger, plus the fact that the city is in a ghost town, but it's so sparsely populated that most of the Odessan population that I know is gone. Uh, oddly, the, the suburbs are more populated than the city center. A lot of the apartments in the city center belonging to welfare people or uh, up for rent by the people who come into Odessa. They're, they're sitting there empty. So you can walk around 
the city center at 11 o'clock right before the start of martial law and you'll see nobody right and it's really creepy because there's no electricity on also at 11 o'clock right right um do you have the sense and what should i understand about what's going on in ukraine that hasn't been widely reported in the last week or two what's hard to understand is that, is that it's it's different from city to city it's really right, difficult right. to understand what's going on even for me or for anybody right. the country is in such flux that it's really difficult to understand what's happening in place to place it's like a little different countries from place to place what's going on in chernowitz where my ancestors are from to poltova to kiev to Kharkiv, to Odessa, to Mariupol, to Nikolaev, it's all completely different. They're completely different situations. Lviv is a boom town, an absolute boom town. All the, everyone's going there, right? Sorry? Everyone's gone there, right? Correct. Everyone who, everyone who wanted to stay in the country but didn't want to flee has gone there. Right. Everyone who had money to buy an apartment or to rent something long-term and to take their capital out of Kharkiv and uh, Melitopol and Mariupol and Kherson, all those people went to Lviv. Right. Lviv is an absolute boom town. It's full of international AIDS people. It's full of international um, diplomats, people from organizations who have to operate there. But are... Hello? You just disappeared. Hello? Hello? Hello. Um, Sorry about that. He just disappeared. I lost you just about like um, you were you were just saying what a boom town it was, and all the aid agencies are there, and the diplomats. Yeah, all the all the diplomats, all the aid uh, agencies, all the people from the international NGOs, and all that, all those people who are doing something useful, or or trying to do something useful, or if we're going to be more cynical, are quasi useless. They're there for whatever reason in the country. They can't operate out east. They all sit there. So I've heard that a one bedroom apartment in the outskirts of Lviv is now renting for twenty five hundred dollars a month, wow. which well, is nuts. Are you getting any sense at all of how the actual war is going or is that impossible to tell from where you've been? Well, well, I go. You know, when I when I pass through the south, I do talk to military people, and I did get I did get up to Mikolaev, which is quiet now. The, the south is quiet up to uh, up to Kherson, right? And th- there are different places with with different relative amounts of fire. Like Kharkiv is more quiet now than it was a couple of weeks ago. The electrical infrastructure grid attacks are down because the the the, the spring is upon us. Mm-hmm. And the Russians basically were not able to destroy the electrical infrastructure right, of the country. So the country survived the winter, which was a r- historically mild one. Mm-hmm. So um, Mother Nature is on our side. What What's had me concerned is there's been a, a flurry of articles of a very different tone. For example, one recently in the Washington Post talking about how despair is creeping in the front lines. Yeah, they're they're tired. the the guys and the, the guys and and ladies in the very 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 front lines are very tired. Not surprisingly, yeah. Not surprisingly, the 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 casualties around Bakhmut are horrific for both sides. Right. Yeah. They're much worse for the Russians, but they're in the business of taking five casualties for every dead Ukrainian soldier, 
and it's it's an attrition war, and they and they have the casualties, and they don't care about casualties in the long term. They don't care about about human capital. They don't care about their people. So they can get away with that. Whereas the uh, the the uh, the Ukrainians really do care about casualties, and it, every dead Ukrainian does in the long term create uh, bad things for the society. And it's just the attrition is really bad for the middle classes and the intelligentsia and the wealthy. The Russians, the intelligentsia, the middle class, the elites, they're not fighting. Their kids yeah, aren't exactly. fighting. Exactly. Whereas every day in Ukraine, you see on the social media pictures of people Beautiful. from classes Beautiful. that don't fight in yeah. in the West. Just, uh, just yesterday, I saw a prominent archaeologist mm-hmm. and professor of history yeah. from uh, Kiev Mogilyansk Academia, was killed in Bakhmut. The day before that, I saw uh, my, my, my acquaintance, who is a, 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 former, uh, a former minister in the, in the Zelensky government, and uh, a, a, an economist, and someone... Uh, I mean, do you need the gentleman's name or not? No, no. I mean, I it doesn't it. matter. No. Uh, he, he, was just, uh, he, he was just putting out photos of his graduate students in economics from the Kiev Higher School of, of Economics who had been killed on the front. He put out like 24, 25 photos of his graduate students in economics who had been killed in the last year. Unbearable. That is remarkable, isn't it? It's unbearable. It's unbearable. And it, that's just, that's just the, 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 uh, the, the dead economists, right? They're also dead liberal arts people. They're dead historians. They're dead people from all different levels of government, from, from the upper echelons to city council. The, the society is being wrecked. If there really are 100,000 dead uh, and wounded Ukrainian soldiers, which is in, entirely possible and perhaps even likely, <clears throat> in a country of 40 million, that means everybody knows somebody. Of course. And, you know, the, the intelligence in the middle class is not particularly large in Ukraine compared to how big of a society it is. It's a very small And it's hugely elite. important human capital for rebuilding and for recovery. Yeah. 189 athletes who were supposed to compete in the Olympic Games next year are dead. Can you imagine? It's just unbearable. It is it is unbearable, and it's it, it's a disproportionate loss of the best people in the society, to the point where you're going to have to make comparisons to the uh, killed intelligentsia of the '30s. Stalin yeah. famously shot all the writers and artists and the intelligentsia, Ukrainian intelligentsia in the '30s in Kharkiv. And I don't want to be depressing, but you know, Russians Russia never recovered from that. Well, U- Ukraine never recovered that. I'm talking about the Ukrainian intelligentsia that was killed, not the Russian intelligentsia. Yeah. Clearly, they were also shot. But the Ukrainians, for nationalist reasons, to keep national awakening and, and a national uh, middle class and elite class from forming or congealing, the, the Soviets just shot a couple of thousand, like six or seven thousand in, um, in Kharkiv alone, if I remember my history. Uh, not that I do, but whatever. It was, it was thousands and thousands of writers poets, translators, historians, academics, intellectuals, et cetera, et cetera. And so the Russians are doing that in slow motion also by killing off swaths of the fighting elite. Well, are we getting the weapons there too late to stop? Are yeah, you- already it's too late. You know, a lot, a lot of these weapons should have been here in the summer of 20, 
22, clearly. Why aren't they? Do you have any insight into that? Because the Biden administration is still playing this double game of they don't want to go too fast. They don't want to incite the Russians. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? They're thinking that if they go in too fast and give too many weapons, the Russians will become even crazier and then they'll they'll use chemical war. Some intelligence reason for thinking that or do they just just are they just operating on a gut feeling? It's a doctrine. It's a doctrine. It's immoral. It's utterly immoral. And if I, I believe so also, yes. I mean, to have both Afghanistan and that on his hands is not a good record for a president. You're, we are living through the time of imperial decline, my dear Claire. What can ordinary people do to get it through the Biden administration's head that this is this is not a joke? They've got it. They've got to get there. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I've been away from America for so long, but I don't I don't really know what what it is that we can do. Or we can counsel ordinary people to do. I really don't know. I'm sorry to say I just don't have any idea of what would uh, what, what would do anything. I mean, this is the one thing on which there is there is consensus in America, which is a very divided and polarized place, of course. Well, no, it's, but, there isn't consensus about it. I mean, the, the Republicans are rapidly becoming um they're rapidly becoming disenchanted, largely thanks to Tucker Carlson, who's been just an incredibly effective propagandist. Is it really Tucker? Is it really yeah. just Tucker Carlson? I think is it this... is. I think it is Tucker Carlson, and there's you know a few other prominent figures who um, reinforce it. But I think Tucker Carlson is having a very disproportionate impact, and you can track his influence. I mean, um, support for Ukraine was you know up up like eighty percent among the GOP six months ago but now it's down to 50 percent or 45 45 percent and it's really really closely tied to fox news look look i don't know i'm not in america i haven't really looked into it i know that he's a malign influence i do uh i i wouldn't i wouldn't put an entire policy shift on his on his uh, doorstep i just i don't have the information to do that ron DeSantis revealed his big um ukraine policy to Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I'm not going to be... Uh, I, I flirted with the idea of voting for Ron DeSantis. I won't be doing that now. Yeah, yeah. I am I am an American citizen. I, I, I briefly thought about voting for Ron DeSantis. You know, I'm not, I'm not a particularly partisan guy. I'm not a member of any political party. I don't even believe in the two-party system, and I, I don't like that. And uh, I vote for policy over personalities, over party loyalty... I, I I have particular policies that I care about. At this point, I am a one issue voter, and that issue. Yeah, me is too. Uh, me too, and um, it makes me sick to my stomach. I almost can't think of it because it's so distressing to think of the real odds that Trump or DeSantis will be the president and will allow not only Ukraine but I think Europe to fall. I do believe that DeSantis is just in it to win it. He's a cynical pop- politician who is careening and cavorting and aligning his policies to what he thinks he needs to get through a primary. I'm going to give him the benefit of a doubt that he is just cynical. I can work with cynical. That's fine. Yeah, except uh, he, he his policies yeah. reflect his cynical impulses. I mean, this is the guy who... Um, actually banned private companies from 
mask and vaccine mandates in private property, right? I mean, he's willing to get his own supporters killed if he thinks it's politically advantageous. He's not he's not someone who says something immoral and then does the right thing. Yeah, but, but he's executing the policy. If he's executing the policy of his voters, that's that's what a politician should be doing, essentially, right? I mean, he he represents no a politician his voters. should lead. Mm-hmm. A politician should lead his voters. He shouldn't follow them, especially when his voters are dead wrong. Well, uh, you know, he wouldn't be a, he wouldn't be in power if he was continuously misreading his his voters' uh, uh, intentions and desires. I mean. There, you know, this is not the question that political scientists and you and me are going to settle tonight here in Paris, uh, in the Marais. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I agree. The point and, is, or... it makes me really ill to think that um, Biden might be the best we best chance we have and he's not good enough. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably have to calibrate to voting for... Uh, biden but this isn't about me this is about ukrainians yeah it does seem it does seem to be the case that that um the consensus that we had for the first year of this terrible terrible war this blitzkrieg total war is about to disintegrate it does seem to be the case yeah yeah and if it disintegrates in the u.s europe is going to fall apart it's actually interestingly uh surprising that it lasted this long isn't it it depends. I mean, from one point of view, I would find it unbelievable if there weren't a consensus. I mean, Europe is really under threat. And if and if you can't get it together to recognize a, a mortal threat and protect yourself, you, you kind of have to wonder how these people managed to survive billions of years of evolution to get to this point in the first place. Um, on the other hand, yes, it is surprising that Europe kept it together for this long. And um no, but it, it, what, what, what Europe has kept together almost doesn't matter. It's the Americans who lead without mm-hmm. American weapons and American wherewithal and American yeah. attention and where Americans just telling people what to do. Right. Correct. I mean, it's just not it's just not going to last without America in the game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm just worried that America is, is losing focus, losing focus and that Americans don't understand how important this is. They just don't. I think they did actually. I, I'm uh, uh, I'm not sure that's the case, or maybe you know, maybe it was the shock of how brazen this was that that had that political consensus in, in the country for as long as we had it for about a year, the first year of the war, and that things really are falling apart now because the the shock has has worn off and and people don't have the intellectual wherewithal to understand why this is important. Maybe that's the case. But maybe it's also the case that American political elites, including Biden, are not making the case. Biden maybe is not the... making the case. He has not given one major poll. I mean, FDR would have been talking to the American people every weekend, even in a fireside chat. Biden is not making the case. And I don't know. I mean, is it because he recognizes the limits of his abilities as a speaker or because he doesn't see the importance of doing that? That's a great question. I uh, I haven't thought about why he isn't doing it. Maybe it's just that they don't want to antagonize the other side, but no one has made on the Democratic elite side a forceful case for why we should continue supporting Ukraine, yeah, like an hour-long you know, speech. Biden can't choke it out. At least then Pete Buttigieg is the only member of the administration who's capable of giving a speech that, where he doesn't stumble over his own tongue. 
But you know, there are other people. You know, Charles Charles Schumer, Senator Schumer, who's who was very nice to me when I was his intern at seventeen. He was great. I I, I knew him very I knew him very well when I was a seventeen year old, which was already twenty years ago, and he was a young senator. Uh, Would he remember I'm you well enough that you could call him up and ask him what's going on? I I mean I I could get through using my my sinecure family connections and my my like quasi importance in the world if we want to call it that yeah I can I, I I I'd just I, like to know whether in Washington they appreciate that it's they're running out of time and there's no reason for these weapons to be held up they need to be there yesterday I they need to be there not yesterday but last summer actually yeah. not not yesterday but six six day months ago. Uh, yeah, they would have made a real, real point, and the Ukrainians could have knocked the Russians out in the war if they, if we just prepared them, right? The, 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 the Trump, the Biden administration has a lot, uh, as much as the Trump administration to answer for, and the Biden administration has a lot to answer for 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 not preparing the Ukrainians enough when they knew what was going to happen, right? They were right. They, if they were, uh, history has proven them correct about the intelligence. But if that was the case, why didn't you spend six months feverishly arming the Ukrainians? Because, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, we need we need the weapons right now. And we need someone very important on the on, on the Democratic and the Republican side to make. a need, Yeah. The, the point that Ukraine yeah. could lose, which would mean Ukraine would be obliterated as a political entity forever. There would be a genocide, another one in the heart of Europe, and it wouldn't stop there. It wouldn't stop there, and it would collapse. Uh, it would collapse uh, all sorts of stuff in Europe. It would, it would be in- incredibly bad for it Europe. Would be incredibly bad. It would be a, a, probably a mortal blow to the West and to the project of liberal democracy. Yeah, I mean, we're we're really at the point where the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians are on one side of a a war against the entire liberal democratic world order. And and either they're pushed back here or they're not going to be pushed back. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know why we don't why don't we, we don't stand up and, and, and have like a world historical process of rearming and just I don't, giving I, everything. I don't understand why Europe isn't frantically rearming. I don't well, understand. They're, try, they're trying. I mean, they spent they spend so many decades disarming that even trying to rearm. It, it still takes years to reestablish a military industrial complex. Uh, plant and all that. I mean, I don't see the Americans plan. spend decades disarming. Also, it's going to take until twenty twenty four or twenty five just to produce the amount of shells every every six months that Ukraine is eating up in, in a month and a half. Right? We're we ha- we're buying that stuff up from the South Koreans. We're scouring the world looking for it, but it, it's 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 too little, too late. Who's the we here? You mean the United States is? Or Ukraine is well. I, I certainly, I certainly am. I don't know what other people are doing. Uh, a lot, a lot of people are looking around Africa, South America, Asia, looking to buy anything that that is uh, available. The Americans are going around emptying bases in Israel, in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, getting as much out as they can of the shells in the warehouses to Ukraine. They're trying to figure out how much they can give up of their supplies in 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 america without running low for a conventional war that they would have to fight in the korean peninsula or potentially in taiwan they are ramping up production but too slowly and and it's just not possible and they are also 
trying to figure out how to keep the uh, uh, the the Russians from getting that stuff. And they've also been doing a lot of very creative stuff, like trying to figure out if they can give over stuff that they capture from terrorist regimes and from like the Iranians shipping them to. Uh, yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah. To, to I, I saw it. That doesn't mean uh, listeners have heard about it. Um, well, why don't you why don't you tell the listeners what, what happened? <laughs> they've 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 seized stuff in um in I guess it's um international anti- waters. Yeah, well, they've seized stuff anti. They've sanctions busted stuff going to Iran, and they're giving it to um to Ukraine. Well, they're trying to give it to Ukraine. It's actually very difficult from a legal standpoint to do it. They actually have to uh they actually have to reclassify it. Uh, there's all sorts of arms control stuff. We can actually take stuff from terrorists and just give it to your friends or use it. it, it it's very, very, very complicated, you know? Um, one thing we meant to talk about is um, the long shadow of the Iraq war. That's... Yeah, it's, um... been tw- it's been 20 years. The my, my, my Ukrainian, my French Ukrainian wife just asked me about this. She's like, so what's the point uh, about uh, iraq and uh, and ukraine i really don't understand and my wife said this was a ukrainian citizen or patriot so well, right i think i think you have to go back to the eerie parallels the american the america first movement in the wake of the first world war which was widely seen in the united states as a complete waste um many very similar conspiracy theories about how we had entered the war thanks to the war profiteers and it was all based on a lie and a general anti-war sentiment that was based in the sense of disillusionment after the First World War because it hadn't lived up to the promises that um, that people had been, been given about what would happen, you know, a war to end all wars, a war for democracy. And then yeah, when the real right. threat came in the form of Hitler, um, Americans couldn't recognize it. They thought this is just another, this is just another passel of lies like the ones we were fed the last time. And, yeah, they were they were fed a passel of lies twenty years ago in Iraq. Well, no, I don't and, think they were. I think that's that's one of the conspiracy theories that we were fed a passel of lies. We were fed a passel of mistakes, but I think they were honest mistakes. Um, I am friends with Judy Miller. I'll call her up and ask her what 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 uh, uh, what, she, what she and others say. I mean, th- there are a lot of really self exculpating essays being published this week. By, by people who should never be heard from in polite society ever again, you know? I, I'm not of the uh, opinion that, that that American elites made more mistakes than they were malicious. They had some really, really, really bad ideas also. It wasn't just the mistakes. It was bad policy coupled with utopian fantasias and American psychosis of a kind that in they the go in for. In the yeah. Well, you know, look, after September 11th, I, I mean, I was in New York as a 16-year-old kid during September 11th. I remembered very well. Obviously, something needed to be blown up after that. No no self-respecting country in the entire world with nuclear missiles and, and a large army would not blow something up after that. No government in the world could survive without some sort of police action after September 11th, right? Mm-hmm. Something did need to get blown up. Uh, that's uh, or someone needed to be overthrown or someone needed to be killed or whatever. It was it was the kind of thing that had to be responded to in order to keep one's position in the world and, and to keep one's own people from going crazy. Right. Mm. That's a very serious attack on 
America, on the Pentagon, on, on, on New York City. I remember it very well as a kid growing up in New York as a teenager. Uh, the problem was that they, they fell under the delusions by them, the neoconservatives, the Republican Party, whatever, that they could reformat an entire civilization, which they didn't quite understand, which in the middle of a desert. Well, that was yeah, that was a that was a euphemism, Claire. <laughs> That's a euphemism. But I mean, uh, it could be, people might be young enough to not remember this. Um, I should stress that Saddam Hussein was considered a very big problem, as indeed he was, well before September 11th. I mean, I was teaching the problem of Saddam Hussein in my introduction to Middle East politics class well before September 11th. It wasn't that this was suddenly that this was invented out of whole cloth. No, this this was real. This was all real enough. Uh, but the uh, the fact that you have real geopolitical issues that you need to deal with doesn't also mean that you need to go in for psychotic apocalyptic fantasias of your of of a belief in your own capacity to restructure a civilization far away that you do not understand but I think in you your are, own image I think you are exaggerating what happened? I mean, it went very badly because we made some specific mistakes. If we hadn't made those mistakes, we might be talking about this very differently. But I don't. I think, I, I think it was overdetermined, actually. No, uh, I, I don't I, think I, it was I, over. See, that's we really disagree. I don't think it was overdetermined. I think it was. It was. Um, it was very much um, contingent. It could have gone differently. It could, look, things turn out about as about as bad as they as they could have. I yeah. I agree that things could have turned out slightly better. I mean, we're we're, we're going to play hypotheticals. What if we had allowed the Ba'ath Party to stay intact? What if we kept the army together? What if we kept the civil service together? What if, what we, if we hadn't the tried country? to do it with the light mobile force? What if we had if we had yeah. security in the country? If we had right the exactly. looting? If we had if all of these things? I mean, these were unforgivable mistakes, each of them, because they reflected total mm-hmm. unseriousness. You, you, if you're going to invade a country, especially if you're going to invade a country in a way that the entire world finds finds deeply suspicious, you better get it right. Um, Correct. So, but but, but I, even the eighteen-year-old me who was marching against it exactly twenty years ago uh, did not believe that that they were capable of doing it correctly. I mean, I I probably wasn't quite articulate enough to to express it in in the ways that I would now at the time, even though I I think I was fairly precocious politically. But it didn't seem like they were capable of doing it, and the, and the arguments of the critics who were saying that we didn't have the capacity to do it, although we had all the capacity in the world to win the wars and, and to overthrow the regime. Those were very convincing arguments at the time. There were convincing and... arguments on both sides. There were also convincing arguments. I mean, people forget them now. There were also very convincing arguments to the effect that it was highly likely that he had reconstituted his weapons program. And we were shocked that he hadn't. Um, and remember the first Gulf War, we discovered right. that he hadn't, we'd missed it. And Correct. This is someone That's who right. already tried to swallow up Kuwait. So I mean, I think there it was not in retrospect with hindsight. We know what happened, but at the time, I do not think that it was a crazy thing to think. Well, maybe this is the right thing to do. And neither did you know everyone in Congress. Everyone voted for it except for Barbara Lee. Right. Everyone except Barbara Lee. Uh, yeah. I. Re- I mean, I remember when I was. When I was 17 years old, I actually asked Senator Schumer about it. I had a 
I had a conversation with Senator Schumer as a 17-year-old, which in retrospect is completely wild. <laughs> you know, uh, the fact that Senator Schumer explained to me and some other interns what his thinking was 20 years ago when I was Why a 17-year-old kid. I, no, you know what? Over the weekend, we were talking about what it is that's part that every American has in common. I think that's or, absolutely the essence of American culture, that a senator would explain to these 17-year-old interns what he was thinking about this. Really? Don't you think? That would, that's something that Americans would not find strange. Would a would a would the French? Yeah, I don't find think there's strange? any other culture that's as unhierarchical as the U.S. That way. Um, imagine. Although my friends in the House of Lords actually don't have interns or assistants, and they complain about it, they all complain that they don't have any help. Um, uh, imagine a French senator. Could he have theoretically a? A, a bull session with his young interns and might, and he young. He might lecture them about it. Alors, he might like. <laughs> he would. He wouldn't listen to their concerns and have right. a conversation with them, right? No, he would. He would lecture them. He would explain how the problem has three parts, and uh, the first part has two parts, and um... right and right. And he's going to sell the third part. Yeah, right. Um... Yeah, that seems right. Yeah, but that that hypothetical French senator who is, of course, intellectually robust and thinks of himself as a real thinker, whether he is or not, could go either way. He would he would certainly he would certainly lecture his young in- interns, but he probably wouldn't listen to them, right? No, he wouldn't listen to them. But okay. I, th- I, mean, I think it really is. Americans are much less hierarchical than I mean, we really took that whole business about all men being created equal much more seriously than people grasped if they're not if they've never left america um not yeah it's true thing. but yeah but, but but you know i i've spent a lot of time with elites of different places right. certainly ukrainian and russian elites would not listen to their 18 year old interns and and explain themselves to them uh i mean that's completely wild a the united states senator who was my senator when i was 17 years old we asked him about it and he gave us a compelling explanation of what he was thinking i don't even remember exactly what he said but he sat down and he gave us the arguments and in retrospect that's that's kind of an amazing experience to have right it's yeah i mean it's amazing in terms of the history of the world and the rest of the world but it is is not unusual for america would that happen i mean you know senator schumer is a jewish intellectual from New York, who got sixteen hundred on his SATs, are and willing to talk like that with their interns. Back in the office, they'll have a yeah. nice conversation, and yeah. they'll and then they'll yeah. they'll answer their questions. Yeah, because I mean, you're inculcating democratic habits, and because Americans talk to each other like equals. Yeah, there's no aristocracy. I mean, the, yeah. this the 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 you know, how do you even address the United States senator, right? Well, how do you actually? You say, did you call him senator? Senator, yeah. I yeah, didn't call him Chuck. No, I wasn't. Some, some would of the stuff called him Chuck, but you know, I, I at seventeen, I never called uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Charles Schumer Chuck. I, I just want to go for the record. Yeah, I, I think that's appropriate. Right, um, clearly so, clearly so. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was nice. I I think very. I think I still think very highly of him, and I like him. Well, um, if you can get him to come on the podcast and explain what's going on with our weapons the speed of our weapon transfers to Ukraine and we can talk to him about why this is important and why we've got to get on the stick. Of all the things I would ask Senator Schumer, if I was to put in the effort, I mean, I could get access to him if I put effort into it. Should I put the effort into it? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. He needs to hear from his constituents that something he needs to hear from his constituent, Claire Berlinski, (laughs) his constituents in Paris. Well, you're his constituent. I I mean, my senator is in Virginia. Senator, you're from Virginia. Is that right? Well, I'm yes. The last place you voted, if you're an absentee voted. And that's where I last voted. Okay, well, I he's certainly my senator. I think of him as my senator. He was very nice to me. Um, anyways, uh, let's return to Ukraine. Uh, right. uh, now we've gotten off. off yeah. So off the topic war has bit. left such a profound disillusionment and such a sense of American um, incompetence and and reinforced by Afghanistan. Such a sense that no matter what we touch, it turns to shit. That we are yeah. using that as an excuse for failing in our responsibilities. Yeah, this is the problem with crying wolf, of course. No one believes you when you actually when you actually do the right thing later on. You, you, you can't and do these really things. there really is an emergency of this nature. When there really is an emergency, no one will believe you. That's the problem of crying wolf. Don't do it, kids. Don't cry wolf. Um, no one will believe you. Credibility is a real thing, and it is a thing that you can taste, and you can, you can smell, and touch with your fingers almost. It, it's, it's almost a thing that surrounds us envelops us like a fog credibility is real and it's not to be you know taken for granted you know oh yeah i'm I'm just thinking about that i'm thinking that's true but also it's a very convenient excuse for people who are basically um trying to indulge the desire to be um cowardly and um, to not get involved in, in in something that could demand something of them. Americans aren't cowardly. There are many. Are there are many negative character traits. That's not. That's not one at all. Americans are strong. They're vibrant. They're virtuous. They're full of vigor, vim, and vigor. All these words that start with the letter V: virtue, vulgarity, vim, vigor. Well, vitality. how do you explain? How do you explain um, Tucker Carlson? trying to persuade Americans to to sour on the on on supporting Ukraine. That, I think it's pure cowardice. I, I don't think it's cowardice. I think he has a deep set of psychological um, grievances that have to do with his own relationships with with people in American politics. I think he is deeply uh, enveloped in his own grievances and he's taken positions and being a proud man, which I, I do believe that he is. I believe that he's a proud man uh, who uh, feels left out or whatever. I, he has said he, repeatedly that he feels profound guilt for having supported the Iraq war. And he may... Is, well, that's honest. That's honest. No one else has said this. Um, this, is, this no, The American political elite has never had that conversation. People who uh, were... Completely res- responsible for the worst kinds of miscalculations are writing this week essays everywhere, uh, saying that they were right and it's the it, it, they they underestimated how screwed up uh, Saddam Hussein left uh, Iraq and Who how screwed up I, I, society I, I was. See those essays? Which ones are you thinking of? I've, I I'll just, let me let me. I'm, I'm including a selection for our reading list today, and I didn't see those essays when I was looking. You didn't see them? They're everywhere. Uh-huh. I just, well, let me well, let me let me look for. Um... Send them to me afterwards, because um, yeah, sure. People are not going to be real patient as you're searching. But uh, yeah, okay. I I mean, I I've seen a lot of them. There there was uh, there are a lot of a lot of these self exculpating uh, op eds 
and we should be uh, much less tolerant of. And of, I'm of these seeing people. a lot of a lot of um, Iraq twenty years later how terrible it was and what a mistake it was. And um, there's a lot of that. I'm there's seeing a lot that they use as an excuse to do the wrong thing here, which is completely self indulgent. Well, it is completely self-indulgent, but it was a, a bipartisan case. And, you know, uh, you know, Robert Kaplan just wrote an article in The Wall Street Journal. I just looked it up. He says, I hadn't sufficiently understood that Saddam's absolutist rule had destroyed every vestige of civil society in Iraq. Well, you know. Sorry. that The fact that that conversation never took place in America about what went wrong mm. and all the many things that went wrong over the last 20 years, the industrialization of a country, two lost wars, financial bailout. What do you mean the conversation hasn't taken place? That's all we talk about. Who, look, who was talking about this eight years ago, five years ago? Granted, in 2008, uh, large swaths of American population voted for Barack Obama, which you could say was a uh, uh, a huge response to what what was going on, and but and what then kind he of conversation. Do you think is a national conversation? If you have newspaper articles about it, if you have people talking about it, is that not a national conversation? We're having it now, but like it, it's not like anyone in the in the uh, in the Bush administration was pushed out of public life or 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 publicly pilloried in the way that Vietnam uh, uh, was publicly pilloried in a society. I I just don't I just don't think that the society really. Uh, you mean kind of dealt with it with a trauma i i kind of understand what you mean i mean because i just saw opinion polling that suggests that fewer than four percent of americans even think about the iraq war on a regular basis um well, it's ancient history it is yeah, ancient history which is peculiar it's only the united states do things pass out of memory as quickly as that um Look in in Europe when you say that's history, what you mean is that's important. And in America when you say that's history, it's ancient history. You, that you, what you mean is that has no importance whatsoever to things yeah, now. Yeah. Um, is that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's kind of the difference between the new world and the old world. But right, I I don't know whether the fact that we don't think about it or talk about it means that we're not processing it at all, or that we really just don't think about it there's no no we're, we're definitely we, we're definitely processing the the trauma of a society in the way that things really went bad well, i think we're processing it perhaps we're displacing it by think by onto ukraine which is a sign of a repressed memory that is causing you harm because it's not being dealt with consciously uh sure that's right yeah that's basic psychoanalysis um I mean, look, we, we're we as a, as a country are acting out. Things yes, have exactly. gone really bad. Things have gone really bad, and I think large swaths of the population are really unhappy. I think if you asked lots of people, do you think the country is on the right on the right path? Have American political? Oh, I think no one would say yes. Well, I, actually, I do meet I do meet people who yell at me, say uh, who say, "Well, in every age, things go wrong. This is all your Trumpian." all your Trumpian uh, uh, worldview, you're kind of adjacent to Trumpism when you say that we and my generation failed. In every generation, things some things are bad and some things no, are I think good. This is a uniquely anxious age for some reasons that are not the fault of policymakers, but some that are. I think, I, I think the American political elites got a lot very badly and very wrong 
and in my observation of them, uh, in my uh, in my dealings with them in in DC, they are or seem to be noticeably poorer in quality than the generation 25, 30 years oh, the, ago. Uh, that's, that's absolutely manifest. That's absolutely manifest. Am I wrong? No, it's it's clear as daylight. I can document it. I can show you the difference. In, in that's just, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I wasn't there 25, 30 years ago, but these people seem to be uh, extraordinarily mediocre compared well, to the people who ran the institutions 30 years ago. Have you seen the speech, for example, I think I linked it a, a few weeks ago, of JFK speaking during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Compare no. that speech to anything Joe Biden says, but especially what he has said about Ukraine, which is actually nothing. <laughs> I mean, look at look at the last three American presidents. Granted, Barack Obama is seen as to be uh, is seen as a very uh, a very good president, still yeah, by but large he's swaths. Actually, catastrophic. And people, one of the I know. problems is that people don't recognize this. So again, Correct. they're bifurcating. They're they're um they're not thinking about this problem correctly because part of the problem is trying to understand why obama why we why we came up with so many bad presidents in a row including obama and if you exempt obama from it you don't see that part of the reason that iraq was a catastrophe was because obama's decision making was as bad as bush yeah he was extremely bad at foreign policy i mean whatever whatever whether you like his domestic policy or not it seems to be obvious that he was extraordinarily bad as a president on foreign policy and he was an isolationist he wanted uh, he wanted uh, it quietly, but his his instincts and and uh, and uh, um, and Trump's instincts were were completely aligned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and as, as is as are Biden's. As and because third, we're so polarized, yeah. we aren't asking the right questions about why our leadership is so lousy. Yeah, that this is this is the correct this is the correct uh, uh, mode of direction that we should be going and not talking about whether the. Uh, the, the the poor redneck Hikyaku Hikyaku yokels, God bless them in flyover country, uh, who still believe in Jesus and for their sin of still believing in Jesus and and living traditional lives uh, are uh, uh, are voting for horrible people. You know well, that's no a very one, that's no a, one, I don't think very silly world. Seriously view. cares whether they believe in Jesus. They do care whether whether they elect Trump again, because Trump is a disaster for the American experiment. I mean. I see that whole thing as acting out, but I see voting for Donald Trump as no different from a teenager screaming at a psychotherapist in the middle of a session. Yeah, That's except acting out. The, the, the psychotherapist doesn't have nuclear weapons. Uh, maybe yours doesn't. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, do you need a recommendation? I have a, I have a guy who has a, who has his own tactical nuclear weapons, but um, you know, I, I, I just, don't see the looking down on 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 normie americans for the sins of a self-indulgent and weak and cowardly and oligarchic self-dealing political elite to be necessary i just don't i just don't think uh, it's it's a healthy way of uh, of dealing with reality you know um donald trump is many things but he's not the progenitor of all these problems he is just a very canny uh political animal and an entrepreneur who saw that you could cobble together a a coalition of aggrieved people correctly and and legitimately aggrieved people and to take power i mean i've never voted for him in my entire life um but you know this isn't about donald trump this is about the fact that this country has been radically radically really badly run Mm. for a very long time 
I'm not sure. I think it's as much that it's been really badly run. I think it has been badly run because we have lost the, the civic virtue to put people who could run things better in those offices. It's so funny you say that because I was reading a, a Maggie Thatcher biography today on the way <laughs> to uh, to the office. Yeah. And this very bright writer who wrote this, this lady by the name of, do you know her, Claire Berlinski? I've she writes. Very good, the book. Yeah, it's a great. Uh, well, I only read the first two chapters uh, <laughs> on the way to work, but uh, she writes that they had lost greatness because they had lost the virtues of greatness. That they had lost their greatness, the Brits, because they had given up on their good virtues. So first you you give up on your virtues and then you lose your greatness, not the other way around, right? Yeah. So what what is that we can do, so to speak, to make America great again? Stop electing assholes. We should stop electing assholes, and, and but maybe the assholes are us. What's going on in the world? And maybe the assholes getting... are us, Claire. Well, that's they are. There are representatives. <laughs> That's the point. It's a representative democracy, and we're clearly. I, I don't. My boy, I don't agree with 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 the virtuous and prim and very kind of uh, uh, throwback to the fifties Senator Romney when he says that congressman from from Long Island, who's a con man, uh, Santos, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't deserve to be in in Congress. I think that's very very kind of uh, nasty and unrepresentative of Senator Romney. He represents his. His constituents, maybe his constituents are the problem, not this con man, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. The people, the people deserve it good and hard, as a great American said, right? <laughs> who, who said it? Who said that? Um, Wasn't it Mencken? It was Mencken. He, Mencken did say that, yeah. The people deserve uh, what they deserve, and they deserve it good and hard. So yeah, if yeah. these are our leaders, maybe the problem is us. Yeah, I mean the problem is us, but um, but nothing. I mean that's just that's just true. Is it? Yeah, I mean th- these people are not getting their um, are not getting these positions by accident. We're putting them there over and over. I mean, I mean we we've gone very far from where we were going to begin this discussion. I mean, what 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 is the source of our of our uh, uh, oligarchic decay of our democratic deficit of our lack of virtue of our lack of virtuous of our of our decline in qualities and qualia what is what is the source of it claire it's at this point where my grandfather would have said grumpily it's kids these days taking lsb (laughs) the kids these days taking lsb i i i I, (laughs) I do think I do think about the kids these days all the time. Is it their fault the kids these days? Are they really more narcissistic than I was at their age? I don't yes, know. Yes, they are. I mean, social media has been, um, it's been socially revolutionary, and it's it's not for the good. So the so things really are much worse. Things yeah, things really are, are really yeah. They, and they and now really we now we have just seen the beginning with AI. I mean, what's going to come next is going to blow our minds. Is it going to be bad? I don't know if it's going to be bad, but it's definitely going to be different. So is is the old world uh, uh, of... Yeah, you are alive to see maybe like the biggest revolution in human history um, since what? Well, certainly since the advent of the nuclear weapon and um, probably since the printing press. I mean, it's just it's going to change everything. It's... And so... no one knows how yet, but we know it's going to change everything. 
And we we should we should probably prepare for it being worse than things were, right? Well, I'm cautiously optimistic. I find it exhilarating. I mean, I think it's there's a little bit of a revolutionary in me. I think things do need to change, and this is sure going to change things. Well, things should change, but they should also stay the same, no? Yeah, there's a little bit of conservative in me too. So I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful because it's better to be hopeful than despairing. Um, I spent I. I misspent my uh, I misspent my twenties reading Adorno and all these uh, Frankfurt School people. Why yeah, did I do right. this? I don't remember. Yeah. Was it was it fashionable when I was growing up in the early aughts? I think uh, it was, or something like that. I think I think it was. Why did I spend all this time reading like Lowenthal and Frankfurt uh, School stuff? And uh, why, why did I spend all this time on Horkheimer and Adorno? Did it make me smarter? I mean, I read I read the academic stuff that that third rate. Adorno explainers or third generation Adorno explainers uh, uh, published now it doesn't make them any smarter. They're just regurgitating uh, Germanic nonsense, and it, it it did make me kind of you know misanthropic. Maybe I already was misanthropic, which is why uh, instead of uh, reading I don't know better books, I was reading Horkheimer and Adorno. I mean, I read a lot of different stuff at that age, but you know, I read the wrong books, Claire. Yeah, I think you did. We'll we'll sort you out. Look, um, we should wind this up. And I want to remember that, I mean, people will have listened to this because they wanted to hear what's going on in Ukraine. So I wonder if you have any other thoughts you want to share with them. Oh, yeah. Okay, look, uh, let's get back to Ukraine not, and not to our grumpy old uh, <laughs> conversation in the Marais. Jewish intellectuals in the Marais today, things aren't what they used to be. <laughs> Senator Schumer, 20 years ago, he told me, uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're annoying, Claire, no doubt. No doubt of that. But uh, Ukraine is uh, still not a lost cause. It's still very much to be determined who's going to win. And I have to tell you, the Russians can still pull this out. Yeah, I know. You know that, right? Yes. yes. They could still pull this out. They could They could still have a, a, a attritional victory. They could yes. still break the back of the, of the Ukrainian armed forces. Maybe we should have by saying that. In Look, case anyone's unaware of it. I have spent the last weeks talking to people in Ukraine and to people in London and to policymakers everywhere. And they all asked each other the same questions as, as if anyone knows the answer. Conclusion I came to is this, uh, being a betting man, this is these are the numbers. We have a 10% chance on the spectrum of a substantive Ukrainian victory of a major Russian collapse, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have a 60% chance in the middle of a spectrum of a stalemate, mm-hmm. like a 60% chance, which is the most likely possible outcome mm-hmm. of a major stalemate of the Ukrainian counteroffensive sputtering to a halt, uh, Russians uh, reconstituting the gaps in their lines, uh, holding uh, some territory, getting Bakhmut, driving the Ukrainians out uh, of uh, of certain p- positions of Donbass. And uh, there being just a kind of natural stalemate, 1917 on the Eastern Front, right? 1916-1917. You have a 15% chance of a, of a minor Russian victory, and you have a 15% chance of a major Russian victory. That's how I rate the odds. We're running a piece today saying that this is formally not calculable, but yeah, I, I agree with you. But I, it, it's, it is not formally calculable. There's so many, so many, uh, you know, different criteria that go into into running the algorithm on who's going to win it's just really difficult you have to multiply 
uh, foreign support, by morale, by by uh, demographic numbers, by troop numbers, by our artillery, by the number of artillery shells fired, by the you know just so many different things that you have to plug into into an algorithm in order to get the correct number of what's going to happen, right? And it really is attritional warfare where you have to multiply humans times time uh, uh, and and vector in the fact that the that the Russian economy is not collapsing and the Ukrainian economy is collapsing and it's on life support from Western donors. You have to uh, factor in the fact that the Ukrainians might also run out of shells before mm-hmm. the Russians run out of humans. Mm-hmm. You have to factor in the uh, the fact that that Putin's gamble, which six months ago looked ridiculous, that he could outweigh the West, now seems to be and much yeah he's much been uh, by the kind of discourse we've heard recently. I mean, of course he would double down. Of course he would double down because and I his, wish people understood yeah. that. I wish I wish people understood. I wish Ron DeSantis understood that he is doing real harm to our interests by talking that way. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean. Uh, he, he's Putin's not going to stop until the costs of not stopping are higher than the cost of stopping. And even if he does stop, it's easier just to uh, let it simmer rather yeah. than declare. Why would he declare that he's lost? He's never going to do that. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So he could keep this going on simmer for a very long time. I, I saw Kaufman, who's very bright in uh, Michael Kaufman, the 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 uh, um, designated driver of of uh, Ukraine war uh, pontificating, who's very bright and has excellent access to information, even though he, I, I think he did make some mistakes early early on in uh, over, overestimating the Russian army. I saw him in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. We had a nice breakfast. Mm-hmm. And he basically told me that, yeah, we're going to give the Ukrainians until the summer to see how far they can go. And after that... You know, if if uh, if things are going badly, we'll sue for peace quietly. By we, I mean the West. Well, the Russians are not interested in talks whatsoever at this point. They're 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 doubling and tripling down. And in the long term, he told me wars that last more than one year, interstate wars between evenly or almost evenly matched military powers that have large industrial war machines that they can mobilize in large populations. Typically, those wars that last more than one year, they last more than three years. So Iraq, Iran, yeah, 1980 exactly. to 1988 is worst case scenario, yeah. which point will Ukraine will be devastated. We'll spend 50 years to 100 years rebuilding. And we're not going to have what we started with anyway. Yeah. Is that is that a very uh, depressing? It note is depressing, to end on? but it's also the truth, and people need to hear it. People need to hear it. They need to hear that if we don't get them the weapons they need soon, like really soon, and all of them, we're going to have another massive defeat on our hands. A massive defeat, even, yeah, even more dishonorable than Iraq and Afghanistan. But the consequences will be so much worse. Look, whenever Ukrainian M- U- Ukrainian MPs who pass through Paris have a night off they they take me out to dinner mm-hmm. i had dinner with three different ukrainian mps in, in paris uh over the last 10 days mm. uh from three different parties actually interestingly enough right 
whenever they come through Paris, either for uh, for uh, you know uh, a meeting or uh, or base meeting or meeting in the Ukrainian uh, at the, uh, the French Parliament or Ukrainian uh, French Parliamentary Assembly, whatever, they all take me out to dinner, and we exchange gossip and information, and it's always very nice, and. I always ask them basically the set of the same questions and whichever party they're in, the, w- w- when they're drunk and, and their hair is down, they all give me the same answers. And I always ask them, how many people are there in Ukraine? And they typically tell me off the record, it's now between 25 and 30 million, although no one really has statistics, right? And I always ask them, "Will can the society survive this many of its young men being killed, right? And, and they'll tell me, you know, we, we don't have a manpower lack yet but everyone who wanted to go fight is already on the front lines you know you don't have a reserve of men that are excited to fight in ukraine who are not already on the front lines there's already conscription dodging going on you know young men that i meet ukrainian young men tell me you know i just got my uh i just got my uh um my uh uh pasvitka in the mail Pasvitka uh, is in Ukrainian. I forgot the uh, the um, call call orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like call orders. orders. Yeah, yeah. My mobilization orders mm-hmm. in the mail, and I always tell them, like, I can't tell you what to do, but you know, they they don't want to go. The guys who want to go, they're already up at the front, right? Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, Ukraine will have a manpower crunch. It mm-hmm. no longer has a manpower advantage over the Russian army. So again, all very depressing. Sorry to leave you with this. Um, we need to do more to get people in the West to understand this. I don't. What can I do? I write articles. I talk. I go on TV. Yeah, I know, I, but I'm just trying. I, to like think. I, I do what I can. What am I? What's clear? Tell me what more can I do? I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, have your have your listeners call in and tell me what else I can do. Whatever they tell me to do, I will do. Yeah, me too. Uh, if Anything I have to run through the, straight, the streets naked, I will do it. Let's get let's get Schumer on the podcast. I think Senator Schumer has better things to do. I don't. Really? Yeah, I don't. Okay. I mean, he's someone who's got considerable amount of power and influence in Washington, and he needs to hear this. Um, for me? Yeah, from both of us. I think he has probably, if he wants it, he has good access to information. Yeah, but he's not hearing it. Because this would be the only thing he talked about if he, if he understood it. Okay, Claire, I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, call in all my favors uh, and all my uh, all my um, accumulated capital and try to get uh, a conversation going with Senator Schumer. All right. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thank you. Vlad. Okay. Thank you, my dear. Thank you, my good neighbor. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.